Welcome to It's Not What's Wrong With You, Sanctuary News Talk. Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, It's Not What's Wrong With You. I'm Jessica Brimhall. And I'm Melissa Case. And this week, we're going to start talking to you a little bit about um, our different programs and how we implement Sanctuary in those programs. But first, we're going to start with our community meeting. But today we are going to use, we have a spinning wheel. I w- This is when I wish that it wasn't just a podcast and I can maybe show a uh-huh. picture of what we're talking about. We have this fun spin wheel that our um, some of our core team members had created. And um, there's different, you know, it's a pie split up into it's different. Like a small wheel of fortune. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good way to describe it. And we've put different categories on there. So some of them are food or animals, holiday, drink, Disney character. So this is a variation on the how are you feeling question um, in case you haven't participated in a variation one. So instead of just describing our feeling as a feeling word, we use one of these categories to keep it interesting. If you do several meetings a day, you may need to keep it a little fresh. Um, So we're going to go ahead and spin our wheel today and see how we're going to answer our feeling question. Okay, and we have landed on describing your feeling as a movie. And since we are in October, Mm -hmm. um, Jessica, let's do a Halloween-themed movie. So, uh, Jessica, how what Halloween movie are you feeling like today? So I'm going to say Hocus Pocus. One, because it's one of the few Halloween movies that I can think (laughs) of off the top of my head. Um, But it definitely made an impact on me as a child. Um, It scared me a lot. (laughs) So I don't know if I'm feeling scared. Uh, (laughs) But I would just, yeah, I don't know. I would say Hocus Pocus. Okay. And what is your goal for our podcast? Um, My goal is just to kind of share some more information specifically about our foster and adopt program today. And who can you ask for support? I will ask you. I will help you. Thank you. Melissa, how are you feeling as a Halloween movie? I'm feeling like um, Clue. Okay. It's it's a very kind of scattered all over, kind of mm-hmm. a goofy movie. Yeah. Um, that, that's where I'm at today. Okay. That's good. Um, and what is your goal for our podcast? Um, like you, to kind of start introducing how we've been implementing in our programs, not just the general model, um, but really what we're doing per, per, per program and specifically Foster Adopt today. Okay. And then who can you ask for help? Jessica, I will ask you. I will help you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we mentioned, we do want to get into, um, I mean, ideally our listeners, a lot of you already know the Sanctuary Program. If you're a staff member here with us, I'm hoping you know. Mm-hmm. We've been, <laughs> we have been training and you should be practicing in your program. Um, for other listeners, uh, clients, or maybe other sanctuary um, agencies, Ideally, you kind of know the basics. Mm-hmm. We've gone over the basics of the model now for the last, what, six? I think we're on Five episode six. seven. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, somewhere around there. So now we want to really talk about um, what it looks like in our programs. And so we do have several different programs here, and it looks a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we've talked about, that's really part 
part of why we liked this model is it didn't have to be so cookie cutter and the same exact thing for all of our programs. Mm-hmm. And that's really helped us because our programs are pretty different. Yeah. yeah and I think this will be good too, because I feel like even among staff in our own agency, sometimes there's confusion or uncertainty about what the other programs do. Mm-hmm. And I guess specifically about how sanctuary could be used there as well. Absolutely. Um, so today we want to talk about our foster adopt program. And so first, uh, we want to give just a little bit of information on what exactly our foster adopt program is, what our staff in that program do, what they're responsible for. Um, and then we will, they're going to share with you some of their experiences on implementing. Mm-hmm. So Jessica, you want to give us a, a main um, overview sure. of the program? Yeah. So I think the foster adopt program is actually the oldest program we have at the agency. Yes, currently. Yeah, um, that it kind of came into being once our shelter closed, we were kind of looking to fulfill the same need of placing children um, in a safe situation and in homes mm-hmm. in this case. Um, so in our foster adopt program, we recruit foster families. So we do different recruitment events, try to get the word out there, like what is foster care? What does it entail? Um, getting people interested. Um, and then once someone is interested, they complete an intake with us and then we're responsible for training them. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving them a better idea about like, what is the reality of being a foster parent? What are some of like the rules and regulations and what they can expect? All that good stuff. And it is a state training. It's mm-hmm. not training that we've created. It is a training that we use that has been um, implemented by the state. Mm-hmm. So our, our staff are certified in the training. It is some online training in addition yeah. to in person. So yeah. Um, So once a family is trained, they also complete a home study. So they're assigned a licensing specialist. That's what um, the title of our staff in the program. So they would go out to the family's home a couple different times to interview the different family members, um, to look at the home and inspect the home and make sure that everything is safe and appropriate for children to be placed there. Um, It's a pretty invasive process um, where it's not only like inspecting the home, but really every aspect of the family's life, looking at finances, looking at background, um, and the history, like how the discipline styles yeah. you were used with you as a child, yeah, how and you were raised, mm-hmm, yeah. your relationship, your current relationship, and mm-hmm. past relationships. It is, we want to know everything about yeah. you. <laughs> and again, this is a process guided by the state. Um, we do have requirements. We work um, hand in hand with the state, we work as partners with them. Mm-hmm. And after our home study is ready, we prepare it. We either make a recommendation to license or not to license, but at the end of the day, we're not even the ones to make Mm -hmm. that call. So we do, that partnership with the state is Mm -hmm. really important in this process as well. Yeah. So once the home study is submitted, like Melissa said, then the state is the one that makes the decision whether they're going to license the family or not. Um, And there's different kind of categories, I guess you could say, that you would be licensed for. Um, You can be licensed as a foster home or as a kinship home, so it's children that are already in your family that you are now responsible for. Um, Or you can be certified to adopt, or you can do foster care and adoption together. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in addition to that, you can choose the age range that you want to foster, um, the sex. So there's different choices and kind of different categories that you Mm -hmm. can fall into. Um, So once you are licensed, You continue to work with your licensing specialist as children are now placed in your home. Mm -hmm. Um, The licensing specialist is there to support you, um, to provide you resources, to make sure that you have everything you need for the placement to be successful and to promote uh, permanency as much as possible for that child. Um, 
So really the licensing specialist is there to kind of guide them through the process and support them. Um, as an agency, we offer some additional supports to families. Um, like we have a foster parent support group. It's currently meeting every other month, um, but we have started in conjunction with the support group offering a training at the beginning, and we are utilizing the um, Sanctuary Self psychoeducation material. Um, and so, so far, they've learned about what is sanctuary, they've learned about community meetings. Um, so that's been a good way to introduce um, the curriculum more in depth, I think, with mm -hmm. the foster families. And really, I, I mean, I think it's important and our team does as well because it's almost like the foster families are kind of an extension of the staff. They are the ones actually caring for the children. Mm -hmm. Um, our staff are monitoring and helping support them, but we're not the ones day to the day to day right. there with the kids yeah. um, and seeing some of the behaviors from their trauma right. coming out. Yeah. And so it is really important that our staff understand sanctuary and implement it well and kind of pass that on mm -hmm. to our foster families too. Right, because that trauma-informed aspect is so important in this program mm -hmm. because we know that these kids have experienced trauma to different degrees, but even the act of being removed from your biological family, mm -hmm. placed with a total and complete stranger in most cases, and right. oftentimes you know, going from home to home um, is traumatic. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they are seeing the symptoms of those traumas manifested in the kids right and for our foster families to have that mindset of what happened to you rather mm -hmm. than what's wrong with you these kids do have extreme behavior so often mm -hmm. and it a lot of times it seems like unwarranted like where is it coming from right. why are they doing this all of a sudden I've had them for a month and now mm -hmm. you know this big incident has happened so I think really for the foster families to be able to kind of stay, take a step back and look at what happened to this child and help them work through it really helps prevent like disruptions yeah. and, and some of the frustration mm -hmm. um, that comes with being a foster parent. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't think I mentioned that our licensing specialists are meeting them once a month. So like you said, it is the foster families themselves that are really kind of at the ground level right. working with the kids in the and, weeds of it all the yeah. time, yeah. day in and day out. Absolutely. Um, so we do want to, we've asked our staff, our licensing specialists, to share a little bit with you about how they've implemented and, and what they've seen from implementation. So let's hear from them. So a way that I have implemented self into my foster adopt families is when I go to my monthly home visits and um, I self about the um, different children in the home. Um, I definitely was talking with one of my foster moms and she kind of uh, gave me some information about some safety concerns um, about one of her children that I feel like if I had not used the self model with her that it probably would have never been brought up in any kind of regular conversation. So using self with our families, I feel like is really important because sometimes families can tell you, yeah, everything's okay, everything's going good. And then you find out that it's really not that way. And I feel like self is a really good way to um, just kind of keep up with your families and check in with them and make sure that they really are okay. Hi, I'm Ethan Gaingala from the Foster and Adopt Department here at Hope Community Services. So how I have been using um, 
the sanctuary concepts and everything that we've been learning about sanctuary is through the trainings that I've been doing with our families. So a part of my position, other than being a licensing agent, is also training foster parents before they get licensed or um, training current foster parents in support groups. So recently, um, our agency held a support group for foster parents that just needed additional training uh, for their license. Um, and one of the topics that we talked about was to basically introduce what sanctuary is um, and what we do, why it's beneficial to all our clients and our children and even our staff here in our agency. So during that session, it was just an introduction of what sanctuary was. Um, also, we did one of the main sanctuary activities that we did, which was the community meeting. The community meeting was something that everybody in that class thought was really helpful because it allowed everybody to check on each other's emotions or, or how they're currently feeling and to allow them to check on each other later on um, during the day or if they have their if they can exchange their phone numbers, they can check up on each other. So when we did the sanctuary activity, um, which was a community meeting, it was um, a little bit eye opening from from what I saw from the parents that did it because they thought it it could be something that they could use on their own foster kids too, just to help them check up on how they're feeling instantly or just how they're currently feeling in general. So that was one thing that I thought um, was really good when we, when we implemented Sanctuary for this support group. Um, yeah. Hi, my name is Hannah. I'm a licensing specialist with Hope Community. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about community meetings. When a family gets a placement for the first time, we go each week um, for four weeks. And something that I found really valuable in the community meeting is how each week that changes. And there's new emotions and new experiences that we talk about. Um, so it kind of opens up the room to have a conversation about how each day things are changing and all the appointments and how um, everybody is adjusting. So I found that really valuable and that the families come to expect it. And I think that they actually look forward to being open and honest and um, just talking about how they're doing. So thanks. So that was a little bit from our staff. Um, and so as you heard, um, all of our appointments that we do with the families are starting with community meetings, a quick check-in with everybody. And actually our um, families are now learning that any new families coming into our agency, they learn that during our training process. They're introduced to sanctuary during our intake process. We have a flyer on what sanctuary is. Um, we want to make sure that the families coming um coming on board us, right yeah. as as their licensing agency that they understand that this is who we are and this is the culture of our agent of our agency so uh also our intakes are done we have both spanish and english intakes all of our paperwork is available in spanish as well um, for any families that we have that are bilingual or prefer spanish we also have um, bilingual staff members here who are available to work with them through the intake process and through their licensing process and even to be their ongoing worker mm -hmm. um, to monitor them. So some of that social nonviolence there that yeah. we can offer for them. Yeah, because we definitely want the families to reflect the population of children as well. So mm -hmm. we want to have a diverse range of families um, to help meet the needs of the kids. Absolutely. Um, and then like Jessica Hunter men mentioned, um, that we also use self with the families anytime there's an incident that happens or any concerns they have we do self with them um, anything going on 
And on our side, on the staff side, during supervision, during team meetings, we use self Mm -hmm. to discuss any issues with families or children placed in the homes Mm -hmm. to kind of help problem solve and and give us a direction of where to go. Um, and then of course, Jessica and Ethan had talked about our support group and the psycho, the implementation of the psycho ed curriculum with them there, the psycho ed curriculum. Also, we, we use a little bit one-on-one when needed, Mm -hmm. if a family needs more one-on-one training for a specific issue they're having, um, we may pull that curriculum out Mm -hmm. there too. So, and then the other thing, um, the state has just updated their forms with our new, our contract was renewed this year. Mm-hmm. Um, September 1 is our go live date for this new contract. And they have some tools that are actually really amazing yeah. and a, a great improvement from where it was before <laughs> and really aligned with sanctuary, yeah. right? Wouldn't you agree? For sure. Yeah. So this family support plan that they've recently implemented is replacing the partnership development plan, mm-hmm. which we previously used. And that was mainly just to identify trainings for the families, like over the course of their license that would help them meet the needs of their placements. Mm-hmm. But the new family support plan, like Melissa said, is very aligned with sanctuary and really looking at how it can support the the family and the child Mm -hmm. Um, so it talks it's a lot about setting goals first of all for the family um, the things that they need to be successful both for themselves and for the children um, how the agency can help meet those needs um, what trainings or what other resources they may need to meet those needs Mm -hmm. and to achieve those goals Um, but it also is really great about talking about self-care and emotional regulation and safety plans so it specifically asks the family to um, create an emotional regulation plan not only for themselves but also for the children that are placed in the home so it asks them to think of different situations that might trigger those strong emotions and then how they could react you know in a more positive way or how they could kind of prevent themselves from being triggered into those like really intense emotions so I think that's great to include both the child mm-hmm. and the family in that Um, And then it also does talk about um, some self-care, like what are some things that they can do on an ongoing basis to keep them from burning out or um, becoming like falling into that um, vicarious trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because, again, like us as workers, they're dealing with trauma on an everyday basis. You know, they're hearing about some of the situations that these kids might have come from. Um, So it's important for them to be taking care of themselves so that they can take care of the kids Mm -hmm. that are placed with them. And I think what's great about this, I mean, especially the emotional regulation piece of it for the children and the, and the foster parents is we had struggled with how are we going to implement that Mm -hmm. for this program specifically because they're in their homes. Like we're not going to ask them to wear their emotional regulation or safety plan around their home every day. So that's not realistic. It's, we don't expect it to happen. Um, And because we just see them once a month, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, pull it out and wear it once a month for us. So this with our staff reviewing it with them, having them make a plan, checking up on them if they're using it, that's exactly what we want. We want to make sure that they have that in place, even if it's not right in front of them, like our staff wear their safety plans Mm -hmm. all the time um, when they're working. If it's not right in front of them, we want to make sure they're not forgetting about Mm -hmm. it. And that's ex- that's exactly one of the tools to help yeah. them with that burnout and that um, just emotional regulation. So, and this is really kind of like the treatment plan for this program. Mm-hmm. I think this program is a little tricky too because so much is focused on the child, um, right. but our client is really the family that the child is being placed with. So while the child might have a treatment plan, they have a team of other people who support mm-hmm. them and provide them services. 
Um, but for the family, a lot of the time it's us um, and there's no particular treatment plan per se. So I think this is really good because it fulfills a lot of those same needs, like making sure that the families are supported and that they have the resources they need to be successful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anything else you can think of for this Foster Adopt program that we've been implementing with them that we want to share? I don't think so. I'm sure I'll think of something right <laughs> as soon as we click the button off. But no, I think that's a pretty good overview of the program and kind of the steps that we've taken to utilize Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that is all we have for you. Um, up next will be Sanctuary and the Seven Commitments. Hi-ho, hi-ho, the seven commitments are a go. Hi-ho, 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 hi-ho. Welcome back to another episode of Sanctuary and Seven Commitments. Today I have Kelly Babcock with me. Hello, how are you? And we're going to be talking about one of the new Netflix series, Unbelievable. So we're going to look at two um, commitments that we feel like were demonstrated really well, and then we're going to look at one Bizarre World commitment. So the first one we're going to talk about is the commitment to social learning. Um, So what did you see as a commitment to social learning in the series? Um, So I would say the social learning aspect of the show was just... um, Figuring out that the officer involved in the series who didn't believe the individual ended up finding out that really, in fact, she was traumatized. And he learned from that mistake, as well as she had originally said that nothing had happened to her, but then came back and decided that, well, maybe it did happen. Um, because they were making her try to believe that. Okay. So I think kind of looking at it too, it's, it shows how they were trying to self-protect and really help themselves in both of their roles. And later on, they're coming to terms with the fact that they're learning from each other and learning from the mistakes. And they're able to like own up to that um, rather than just blaming one another. They're coming together um, as traumatized people to work through the process together. Right. And finding out by not being believable in the beginning it caused them more problem in the end perfect um the next one we want to talk about is the commitment to social responsibility um and that one really ties into um all helping each other in the motto is really that it takes a village to raise a child um so this one what does this one kind of cover so i would say with this it was just officers two officers from different areas coming together to realize that People were being traumatized from all different areas, um, but didn't realize it at the time until they started speaking to one another. And once they started talking, then they were able to figure out what was going on and how they could help all these women that were being traumatized. And so it really kind of shows how these women come together and take on the responsibility of helping these women and really create like a caring environment to help these women process through the trauma that they've been through. Um, And they help them build relationships and they really go back and give people information to support them through a traumatic event rather than like leaving them on their own to process through something. Correct. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, and then the last one, so we're going to talk about the bizarro world. So we want to talk about um, the opposite of nonviolence, which is the commitment to violence. Um, and we're looking at this one more so um, about feeling physically unsafe and even socially unsafe. So go ahead, Kelly. Um, I would say uh, in this one, it was just the idea of not feeling safe in your own home mm -hmm. because you were traumatized and you know when you find that someone is backing you or behind you you just have a better feeling about yeah. what's going on because somebody is believing you and trusting you and and not denying that anything happened yeah. so it makes a difference because it feels like people are on your side yeah and then, too, from, like, the social aspect, because the story was told and then it was recanted, I think that there's just that social, like, fear of not being accepted because of the trauma that's happened to you, not being able to fit in, and so you're afraid, and a lot, oftentimes people kind of change their story um, so that they aren't getting other people in trouble. And so, really, this just kind of shows a real-life example of what it means to not be committed to nonviolence. Um, and really shows how people who are traumatized do go through even more traumatic experiences when they're sharing information on what's happened. And so it's our job as a community um, and as employees and staff and other members to make sure that we're making everyone feel welcome and that we're recognizing their trauma and understanding that something's happened to them and doesn't define them as a person. Agreed. And it does definitely make a difference in people's lives. And it shows that in the show where she goes back to the officers and thanks them for believing in her. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have for this segment. Um, listen in next time. What happened to you? Oh, oh, oh. What happened to you? Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Hey, everyone. This is Ethan Garangala from the Foster and Adopt Department. And we have a new segment for us to kind of explore um, this new segment is called What Happened to You? What Happened to You? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so basically this segment will kind of make it fun rather than just talking about what it is. So we're going to try to look at pop culture icons or villains or characters in movies, TV shows, or anything out there um, that we can kind of... Um, Di or kind of explore into in terms of looking at a specific character or person and identify, you know, kind of their deeper motive of why they're acting the way they are or why their current behaviors are um, happening. And we just want to know what happened to them, what happened to them prior to acting the way they currently are mm -hmm. and going to more into it. So I have Jessica here with me and we're going to be talking about um aladdin mm -hmm. so this new movie that came out well i guess it's a new old movie the new old movie <laughs> um and they just like redid it but it's still the same it's literally the same exact mm -hmm. movie so we're gonna talk about jafar mm -hmm. so jafar he is i mean initially when you look at this guy he's like there's just this evil looking guy with like large robes beard and like eyes that just look so demonic yeah. and can i just say when the original aladdin came yeah. out and i went to disneyland when i was little and they had the character of the car <laughs> and my mom was like get over there and take a picture and i was like oh my gosh this is the most terrifying thing i've ever seen in my life right he was very scary right so yeah his presence is just kind of scary right and very like 
quote unquote bad guy yeah. looking. He's like your 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 typical like villain in in like these Disney movies. And yeah, like when you look at him, he just looks so intimidating and just evil looking. Yeah. And he's like what trying to grab all the power for himself. Yeah. Like yeah. he wants to be the ruler. Yeah. Um, so his motive from like this from the movies um is basically yeah, grabbing the power getting as much attention and like the wealth and and and, and basically wanting to be the next king of mm-hmm. agrabah like that's his goal is to have this ultimate power um but before even that like why do we think he's acting this way like mm-hmm. why do we think he wants this power one one thing that i think personally is i think he is um I think he was just misunderstood yeah. from the beginning. That's one of the things that why he may have been acting this way is that his maybe his ideas or his plans or his his just everything that who he was just was um downgraded or mm-hmm. looked down upon yeah. or nobody took him so seriously. Mm-hmm. Nobody like thought of him as like um, a serious guy. Yeah. Like, nobody wanted to do much more of him. So I think maybe that's why he wanted to turn around like his behavior to a more darker mm-hmm. side. So that's why I think he turned into, you know, um, seeking after that magical lamp yeah. to get like this ultimate power. Right. He knew so, he had to do something to be able to get that mm-hmm. power for himself. And I think a lot of the time it's people who are powerless. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, he felt like he had maybe no voice mm-hmm. or he was just trying to kind of rise through the ranks exactly, and yeah. get power. And it became to the point where he was like, I'll do anything, use all means right, necessary. Right. Like even if people are getting hurt or, right. you know, I'm, making bad choices right and even in his case like he was already like the right hand man mm-hmm. of the king in agrabah but he wanted more yeah like, he wanted more out of it like he just wasn't satisfied with his current position or i think again the king also didn't take him seriously mm-hmm. too so that's why he wanted more power more um wealth more this and that and then at the end ultimately it didn't turn as well as he thought yeah things didn't go according to his plan even even when he had the power like he wished he was going to be like the most powerful genie or the most powerful being in the entire universe so it was never like enough for him yeah it was never enough for him and it like ultimately like slapped him in the face and somehow aladdin and genie and everybody like defeated him yeah i feel like he was probably like maybe his beginnings were more kind of like aladdin where he was maybe like living in the street or like i said powerless but instead of like aladdin must have been like he was maybe a little more resilient or had Mm -hmm. some better coping skills so he was able to i wouldn't say do things the right way because he was still using a genie to like accomplish his means but he wasn't doing it in quite as nefarious a way as jafar maybe but i think if you look at it in terms of that like he was kind of helpless or powerless and you can see like how aladdin has been kind of mistreated and made to feel bad about himself and like kind of starving i guess yeah, as yeah, well yeah, like living yeah. on the streets how someone would decide like okay i need more power i need to better myself you know whatever means it takes right, to do that right, right yeah and i do think that you know yeah like you said um in comparison comparing aladdin and jafar though i think both of them came from a powerless background mm-hmm. aladdin didn't want to hurt people yeah. didn't end up resorting to hurting others or taking over things and Mm -hmm. stuff like that whereas Jafar from his powerless position from his not having a voice like he turned to becoming evil Mm -hmm. like he turned to manipulating people he turned to you know like trying to overtake Mm -hmm. the entire kingdom yeah so yeah yeah 
Yeah, so maybe he wasn't such a bad guy after all. Maybe he wasn't. <laughs> like, from deep down, he thinks that he was doing the right thing. Yeah. He thinks that his motive, or his motive, like, he thinks that I'm doing this for the good of yeah. the people to bow down to mm-hmm. me or, like, worship me and stuff yeah. like that. He thinks he's a good guy. But from us and everybody who's watched it and seen it, like, no, that's not... Yeah. That's not I like that Disney, like, I feel like they, with the movie Maleficent that's coming out, too, mm. this is kind of a sidebar, but mm. they're trying to show, like, here's a character you traditionally think of as evil, mm. but, like, here's their backstory. So I feel like they could do that with Jafar, too. Like, oh, let's yeah. delve a little deeper. Yeah. Like, what actually did happen to him that's that now he's one. in this position? Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe we can talk about Maleficent next yeah. time because i think it's like a backstory about yeah. her and what she's gone through and why like she, she ended turned up the out way she did yeah. the way she is so i mean i, w- I do definitely want to see it. i think yeah. it's out now pretty so. much disney should just hire us and <laughs> provide commentary like sanctuary commentary on Such- their movies like who wouldn't want to listen we'll to talk that? about this yeah. <laughs> no, yeah but yeah that was that was good yeah so. thanks Ethan. cool thank you all right, thank you for listening to our most recent episode here of our podcast. We Before we go, we did want to take a minute to congratulate the winner of our secret word contest from last time, um, and that is Sue. So thank you for listening and emailing in the secret word. Sue won a family four-pack of skating passes to the ice den. Yeah, so fun. Good job. So this week's, um, or this, I don't know, week, month, whatever <laughs> We're it is. a little late on this one, but... Um, mm. The secret word for this time will be bizarro world. So if you've listened to the podcast and you heard the word, email it to Melissa and you will be entered to win another fun prize. Yep. 